Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, my fine feathered fiends, welcome to episode 63 of Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill. And how are we all doing from a wet, rainy, grey and somewhat miserably predictable Dublin? How do I find you? Well, now, this podcast will be mainly about music, um, a discussion of two statements in the press recently. Um, a little bit of a discussion around content, a little bit of discussion about what the next few months might have in store for the music industry, which has been, quite frankly, the uh, anus horribilis, um, which may not be quite what you think when you hear those two words. But definitely, this has been the most desperate time for live musicians, um, for traveling musicians, for anybody creative, really. And we keep hearing about money being poured into, again, I keep mentioning this fictitious arts council that we have in Ireland and their plans for this, that and the other. And I keep hearing about money being poured into this, that and the other. But yet at the same time, the state does not allow people inside. So how can we have a show, an art exhibition, a this, a that, or the other, or anything that has some sort of human process? The prospect of it just being corralled or... Um, just being paid to those who wish to do things online, of course, is a very real reality. And now I'm not going to start talking about variants and this, that and the other, but we have this Delta variant, which now presents a whole new um, angle for the mainstream media to try and scare people and to provide the um, unelected health officials with more ammunition with which to, in my opinion, keep people in their place. It's, um, you know, classic, classic propagandizing just at the moment when it looked like 
um, society was taking a step or two back to reopening, this can be used to hold that at arm's length for a while, in my in my opinion. Well, what do I know? I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band, I hear you say. Good point. Good point indeed. Well, episode 63, like I said, is going to be a little bit about the music industry. So the first ad read will be MetalBlade.com. Almost 40 years of heavy metal history. If you are in North America, you can use the promo code AA Podcast, and you will get 10% off your order. Get to it. And first of all, let's start with a quote from um, this is from the New York Times. Trivium frontman Matt Heafy spoke to the New York Times about the overwhelming success of his Twitch channel, which boasts a follower count of 220,000. Matt, who streams everything from video games, guitar clinics to Trivium and acoustic song covers, all while he's off the road and awaiting the next Trivium album tour cycle, said that the Twitch channel generated just under $10,000 a month in 2019 and 2020. Trivium collect an average of $11,000 a month from on-demand services like Spotify, Apple Music and YouTube. Now, I ain't no Trivium fan, but that's a pretty interesting statement, a pretty interesting quote, and also has a rather dim and dark reflection on the music industry. I mean, the reality is that Matt, um, as an internet personality, a content creator, makes far more money than he does from selling, um, I suppose, hundreds of thousands of records. Trivium at their peak would have sold hundreds of thousands of albums, and there's no doubt that there's um, many, many streams coming in for the band. I'm sure if you look them up on Spotify... They have um, a couple of hundred thousand followers, millions of streams. And the idea that still, regardless of that history of 20 years probably of making music, that people watching him play games makes him more of an income. And I can't begin to tell you the amount of times that I've sat in boardrooms with music company executives who ha basically have used someone like Matt Heafy as an example and said to, well, the likes of me, why can't you be a little bit more like him? Now, first, let's dissect some of that statement. The first thing, first things first, is that Trivium, um, Trivium fans, I suppose, were a little bit younger, a little bit more um, normalized to the internet, to gaming, to all those kind of things. They'd probably be more, far more um, amenable to all of that. And they grew as Hefe grew. I mean, they were a band, of course, that said nothing or meant nothing to people like me. They weren't for our generation. But for the generation of younger fans, they grew up alongside him. So... Gaming doesn't have gatekeeping like the music industry does. And if people who watch other people play games, which is still kind of a mystery to me as to why anybody would do that, um, people do. People do in their hundreds of thousands. And it's a very tip-easy culture. People tip quickly. They tip easily. And what Matt Heafy has done there is basically has created an online persona for himself that really, to be honest, isn't dependent on music. It's dependent on him waking up in the morning and thinking, right, what am I going to do today? I'm going to do that acoustic aha cover. I'm going to do a little guitar playthrough. Here's me making coffee. OK, we're going to play some games today. Here's my little studio. And on one level, you've got to appreciate the fact that it's a cottage, cottage industry that is not gate kept by management. That's not gate kept by record companies. But yet at the same time, on the negative side, what it's saying is that your art is not good enough to make you a living. Um, your art is not good enough to make you a living. And that despite you coming from a successful band who 
have hundreds of thousands of followers and have probably sold up uh, a million or two million records, I would imagine, of all in total. Um, this is not enough to make you any living outside of the touring cycle, because obviously that's what's been taken from um, musicians uh, by the pandemic. And it looks doesn't look like it's something that's going to come back very easily. Um, if you look at all the arbitrary rules and restrictions based now on flying and traveling, and I'll get into that as we move through the podcast. But what that states is that Matt's cottage industry um, more or less has him housebound. Now, that, depending on how you look at those things, for me, the reason why I started playing music was to be in a room with people, was to travel, to have agency, to have purpose. And I suppose on a very micro, micro level, something like me doing this podcast, or if you've been over on my YouTube channel and looked at my silly call from the grave series looking at bands careers I suppose on some level I am trying to play the heafy game I'm just 15 years behind the curve it's not what primordial fans want to see is me playing games is me doing this that and the other but I think under the circumstances you are allowed a little bit of leeway a podcast for example suits me fine because I've always been a person who has an awful lot to say probably too much to say by some people's admission or judgment but it is what it is and so the podcast format sort of suits my um, the way my grey matter um, fires. But what that is saying is that to a musician, there is no livelihood for you um, without touring, without festivaling, without travelling. And if for you to have that livelihood, you have to basically have an internet personality. Now, we have to do say something about, for example, Trivium and Matt Heafy, is that he was a personality before lockdown. So... The idea that the New York Times is basically it is quoting a success story, which is what they keep looking for throughout the mainstream media, is this, oh, look what the clever things musicians are doing to cope. I never see a isn't I never see the real disaster story of um, how are we doing this to art, to live music, to um, all of these things. The things that artists are now basically being told to do, which is that your creative instinct, the very um, sort of reason for your being purpose agency all those kind of ephemeral things are literally mean nothing and can, can you please get on Instagram and start posting um, I don't really read those stories too much and there's a certain huge silence which I'll get to from my next quote um, from many many bigger musicians who just seem unwilling to tackle the shackles placed on the music industry or live entertainment industry by arbitrary rules and restrictions by uh, of health officials, but we've learned that art over the last 18 months pretty much um, has no lobby and pretty much means nothing. Like I said, and I've said this four or five times in the podcast, someone said to me, why do you care about the theatre? You never went. Well, my friend, I care because one of the oldest artistic expressions known to man and is part of our culture, our history, our folklore. Um, and I don't wish everything to just go the way of the dodo, such as playing in a band. The reason for which I started doing so was to be in a room with other people, whether they were the musicians you make music with or the com commune of playing that music for people. I didn't do it to be a content creator sitting at the other end of a screen. But this particular heavy quote um, from the New York Times, I think, is really interesting. And if we kind of dig down into it a little bit, it's um it's even more it's even more interesting is he earns 
Now, let me just look at this. On just under $10,000 a month in 2019 and 2020. Now, I would imagine most of that is from people tipping him for playing computer games. And Trivium collect an average of 11000 a month. Now, consider that Trivium probably are um, having to pay management um, or pay some uh, employees of some description in this fallow period. Because I do know for a fact that many uh, managers, many people who are involved in the band crew, of course, have no work either. Now, there's very few bands who are big enough to subsidise um, a crew not doing very much in this downtime from um, non-existent digital royalties. But of that $11,000 a month, consider that um, that probably is split between four band members. Um, that could be songwriting royalties from different things here and there. Maybe some is live performance royalties from the last couple of years before everything was shut down. Our management taking their percentage as well. This is pre-tax, taxed by five. And this is one of the things that every time I read something about the artist, and I'm doing little parenthesis rabbit ears for those of you who have their spy cameras in my dungeon. Um, the fact is that um, in the mainstream media, most times they talk about the artist. And that's because most of the discussions of the modern music industry are about uh, artist singular because you will notice even with pop bands there aren't really pop bands anymore it's about one person um, names DJ names um, Ariana Grande blah 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 it's just names I'm just, that was the first name that came into my head um, because a band is too difficult to mark in uh, to market in relation to pop music terms but the mainstream media will discuss the artist as if it's always just one person an electronic artist in their basement collecting all of the royalties which of course is not the case for indie, rock, metal, punk, whatever else, it's a band. So this constant referral to the artist is a misnomer. Um, it's a mistake. That's not really how things work because when Primordial gets, let's say, digital royalties, they are pre-tax and pre-split by five. So it's just dribs and drabs of 50 here, 100 here, 150 there. Nothing really that makes any particular difference to your life, so to speak, but dribs and drabs. And I presume most bands are the same in the sense that um, they are multiple people. Now, of course, if you have different publishing percentages, etc., this can change. But um, the constant referral to the artist is incorrect. So I presume that the Matifi, um, you know, trivium money that comes in every month while he's not touring or playing gigs is his chump change compared to what he actually makes off his um, what off his other accounts. Also, the the the, the follower count of two hundred and twenty thousand is huge. This is a huge amount of people. So he's been building this cottage industry probably for a decade. Um, so when somebody says to me, "Well, why can't you do that?" You're already starting. Not only are you born in the wrong decade, playing the wrong kind of music, but you're trying to play a decade of, of catch up. And in reality, um, that doing that is not the reason why um, some of us started playing in bands. Um, I was on a, a big Zoom call um, with a lot of people very recently um, and a friend of mine um, piped up and she said, well, this isn't the reason why I became an artist to have to work the crowd like this, you know, like the comedian who only does crowd work. Where are you from? How you do? And blah, blah, blah. It's um, it's not why many of us. Um, it's not why many of us 
started trying to become creative. Now, admittedly, okay, the reasons why you're 15, 16 are a little bit different. You want to be in a gang and you want this and you want that and the other. But, you know, as you settle into the idea that you have um, some artistic creativity to explore, um, you don't anticipate that that now that hinges all on your social media noose. Nouse, I suppose is the word, not noose, nouse. So the idea is that in this weird, one of the idea, the principle of this podcast, the things I'm trying to get my head around is the idea that um, most musicians now are being forced into having to make content to somehow try and cope. And the using the Matt Heafy as an example is a bad example because he was way out of the curve to begin with. And his fans, the, the age that they were and the things that they grew up in being interested in fully fit into the idea that the guy from the band that they grew up with, they're going to watch him play games and learn how to play the guitar with him and all sorts of things. Um, it makes an awful lot of sense on those terms. But the idea that... Um, without touring and traveling and playing festivals, you're earning literally nothing unless you've made or created this cottage economy um, is pretty grim, to say the least. And so on those terms, people have said it to me. You've got to start making content, content. Now, what does that mean? And this is sort of what brings me to the next part of what the podcast or what I wanted to talk about today is that um, for someone like me, Talking in a podcast suits me, but should I stay out of politics? Should I stay out of having an opinion? It's clear that certain times now, of course, posting something on Facebook is not the same as it was 10 years ago. It's like um, Grandpa Simpson shouting at the wind. I'm aware it's an antiquated forum and it all feels a bit pointless. It reminds you of your angry aunt who's shouting things into the void. I hate Trump because blah, blah, blah. And you go, hey, you live in a middle-class suburb of South County, Dublin. What's it got to do with you? I mean, look, and who are you talking to? What's going on? Why are you engaging like this? And there's a feeling when you post something on Facebook. Sometimes I do. It gets the better of me. I want to go, hey, look, do you see what they're doing? Prepping you for the Delta variant lockdown. Can you see that already? And then you realize, oh, it reaches a handful of people and it all feels a bit pathetic. So you just delete it. You make your point. You delete it. You move on. But is there something is there something to be said for this? Damned if you do, damned if you don't. I can you please make some content, um, says X record label to try and keep your career um, in some form of, um, you know, just not quite in the dark completely, but just um as some form of dusty old shadows that a few people can view because if this all gets dust off, dusted off, you'll have a little bit more of a platform or is it just um, some kind of something to occupy the grey matter during this uh, crazy period of inactivity where the thing that you were meant to be has been basically essentially taken from you. So you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Should I stay out of politics? Is there any reason for me to get involved? Um, like, why do you ask questions on these terms? Is it counterproductive when all things are considered? Because what I have noticed is that some people will be against me on the principle that it's me, i.e. they protest the protester. And people watch, of course, to make sure that you fuck up, that you say something you regret, etc., etc. And the idea that you are uh, throwing out so many words into the ether that any one of them could be used against you is quite a heavy burden 
when at the same time you have people within the music industry going, please make content, and you think to yourself, well, what is this? You just want me to make sort of middle of the road milk to milk toast content with no with no edge to it at all. Just um, what do you want me to do? Just like film myself playing football. Um, hey, here's me making coffee. This that and you realize that that's kind of what people want. But yet at the same time, how is it that? Once upon a time in the 1980s and the 1970s, we understood, and even the 1960s, we go back to Bob Dylan and that kind of thing, you understood that musicians had things to say. They had things to say about the state of the world and politics. And it seems to have been deafeningly silent for musicians over the last 18 months. Many musicians, of course, were anti-Trump. There's anti-Trump, that anti-blah. I mean, look, that was easy. That was like shooting a huge, ugly fish with a wig on in a tiny barrel. I get that that was very, very easy, but... In the last 18 months, it has been really quite shocking and surprising to me how many musicians um, and people in the music entertainment industry or whatever you want to call it, and I hate using that word entertainment, but how many artists have just been literally silent. And I think that's part of that is a sort of Trump uh, hangover in the sense that if Trump had said, I'm for lockdown, many people would have been against it. It was that simple. Instead, it was the other way around. And so many artists have come out on the side of um, the sort of collectivism of enforced uh, lockdown. And now that we're 18 months into it and there's, you know, the whole vaccination process and it's becoming pretty clear that you're going to need this to be a traveling musician. I still don't really see many musicians speaking out about the situation, trying to address the fact that nobody has stood on a stage, that still no one knows if we're going to be able to tour, if we're going to be able to have festivals. I mean, many, many things are being organized for next year. You probably saw... I posted um, the Hellfest lineup, which is insane, absolutely insane, two weekends in a row. And part of me knows why Hellfest have done this. They basically said to the local um, area, the local community, do you know how many millions of euros are going to be coming in, in tourist money, um, into the economy, into the local economy? This is the biggest music festival in the world this year. Go ahead. We double dare you. Cancel it. Part of me believes that that is also behind this. It's huge. It's probably the biggest uh, metal festival or rock festival, let's be honest, music festival of next year. I can't see anything else having a bigger lineup than that. And who would dare cancel it? Well, we've seen already in the last 18 months that the lobby group of artists in the entertainment industry seems to me almost impotent, seems to have done more or less nothing. No one has stood on a stage here. I watched people across the road from me queue up, masked, um, and with their PCR tests in their hands to go and stand in a field in a in a painted square on the grass, um, distance from everybody else, seated to watch somebody play far away. And you just thought, my God, real music can't happen like this, as in artistic expression in public cannot be at the behest of an un unelected health official group or else it will just never happen. It reminded me of some sort of NKVD-style, um, Stasi-approved uh, state opera there where the head members of the NKV would have sat in the front row and everybody else would have to watch them and applaud when they applauded and all that kind of thing. Yes, I'm being a bit over the top, but you understand what I mean. If artistic and public expressions are only at the behest of health and safety, well, then we can see in the last 18 months how small and lacking in power that lobby group is, but also how few musicians seem to have tried to stand up and say, now hang on, look, come on, there has to be more funding for this, that and the other. The second ad read is for Eisenwald Records. 
you need to go to www.eisenton.de or .com. Use the promo code ALAN and you'll get 10% off your order. Loads of post-black metal, pagan metal, etc., etc. Up and coming, strong acts there. You need to get on it. It's clear that the collectivism at the heart of uh, the lockdown mindset, which appeals to people or would appear to appeal to people on the new left side of politics. And I hate using those sides because I don't think they're really applicable. So I put new in front of them. Um, that collectivism at the heart of it. Uh, I can see it in Ireland that everyone is just like, hey, there's money coming to the industry. Shut up. Stay quiet. You're in furlough. You get money from the state. What do you want? Well, of course, that's part of the, I suppose you could call it the collectivist socialist mindset, um, the welfare state at the heart of it. I get that. I understand um, that for a country that came through poverty like Ireland did for so many decades, that the idea that the state is just now um, very um, in a very organized and orderly fashion supporting people financially um, I explained to one um, representative of said state body, well, I'm a musician, I'm I'm a traveling musician. And I got the, oh, God, you'll be the last out. Jesus, well, hold tight now. Good luck to you. And, you know, <laughs> it was like a sketch from an Irish TV show. And no problem. They facilitated everyone um, very fairly and very well. I can't complain about that, as I have complained about many other things in the state. But at the same time, that is not why you are a musician or a creative person or even a human being to just endlessly exist in rolling over furlough and just collecting the money and go back around to go. But you don't go anywhere. You have no agency purpose. Um, and there certainly ain't no rock and roll happening at all. Um, and so why have so few musicians even spoken out about any of this stuff? At least not that I can find. Maybe I'm in the wrong loops. I don't know. Um, but it strikes me that the entire industry is just holding its breath, waiting to see, can this happen? We see footage of, um, you know, packed hardcore gigs sometimes in America. Some friends have sent me gigs that were happening in Australia, although Victoria got shut down again over 10 cases. Um, and we see that people are trying to do things and maybe there's more things happening in Eastern Europe. Absolutely nothing, of course, happening in Ireland. But yet there are still gigs announced in September, October, November. And you have to wonder, everybody keeps saying to me, well, once the dust settles and we know, we'd be able to figure these things out. But I often think to myself, and especially over the last few weeks, does the dust settle? Is there a moment where you go, OK, we have some clarity now on what the rules are? I'm not sure that that moment ever comes, actually. I, might, I think there might be no dust settling. I said many months ago that what I think will happen is that we'll be living in an in a sort of confused level two, level three. Don't forget, level one was the um, easiest lockdown, which we were never in in Ireland, and five, the harshest, which we spent the most time in of any city in the world, as I understand it. And we are literally still living in a level two or three. I've seen political commentators say, hey, look, we the sun's shining, there's people having pints outside. We're not in lockdown. Well, yes, we are in fucking lockdown. There's no comedy, no theatre, no music. There's travel restrictions. There's this, that, the other. These things are all still very much in place. So, yes, we absolutely are. And when we aren't is when we are at zero, i.e. back to normal. But I have been beginning to think that 
There is no back to normal. The dust does not settle. We don't get clarity. We will only get a kind of, um, can this happen? Can this not happen? Uh, okay, let's try. And then it either gets stopped or shut down. But how does that help? The, how does that help bands who need to travel? This makes it almost impossible because what you are saying is, yes, um, a, a public expression of art or creativity can exist, but it only can exist by the terms of the state and unelected health officials to decide whether it can. But you cannot plan anything on those terms. You cannot, Primordial cannot say or any band cannot say, hey, we're coming to fly into Ireland next April for the show. And then one day before get to the airport or the day the morning of get to the airport and they go ah well you don't have the right paper of this that either because the rules were changed two days ago because of the turbo rat variant um, I'm only saying that because I have actually got a bass pedal turbo rat sitting in front of me and it was the first thing that came to my mind but I might as well make those two words together and put variant after them right well, we might as well. So let's call it, if the turbo rat variant happens and um, it, there's causing, it's causing a bit, bit of a concern, a bit of a ruckus in a suburb somewhere, in a leafy suburb. Um, does that mean that X-Band flying in from Moldova or Narnia are just um, then if therefore cancelled due to the arbitrary nature of said laws? It's very possible. So therefore, how can you plan anything? So when you look at the Hellfest lineup, you can see it's almost daring uh, it to be cancelled. How could you cancel Metallica, Fate No More, blah, 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 all these bands? Well, I think what we've been shown, as I said, is that the art and entertainment industry has had to learn is that, yes, you don't have the lobby and, yes, everything can be cancelled and altered and changed. And so, yet we're still working in the dark. I said to my people running agencies, venues, bars and Dublin, do you know if that gig you have booked on September the 10th can happen or whatever? They're like, no, no clue. Nobody's told us anything. So does the dust settle? Do people ever really know or which left in this weird grey area? And as you've known, if you've been listening to the podcast for the last 60 million episodes, you'll know that I constantly refer to the grey area. I'm not a man who goes for the sexy black and white answer, as I think nothing is an absolute. And I think most things do exist in the grey area, whether they are politicians' um, innate uh, sociopathy or grifting cowardice or the fact that some people think they're doing the right thing or that some people are have genuinely malign um, intent behind what they're doing it's everything it's all those things at once and it's all those things jostling for position so having a clear definition of what is and isn't allowed as the music industry moves ahead uh, through its second summer of not being able to well exist are things going to change when then when you look at the paper and you go, it says turbo rat variant, blah, 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 blah. You go, I don't. They're prepping us for keeping this going into September, October, November, aren't they? I said to my alter ego, Boris, we have not heard for, from him for a while, but he still exists and around. Um, and he says, yes, I agree. It's coming. And you think to yourself, yeah, they're they're prepping for another variation on this theme. And then you think to yourself, well, how how does um, the music industry survive and the answer is a variation of it will a variation of it that will agree to go alright we'll just go inside and there won't be any people there and we'll just stream it uh, and you know let's hope that your TikTok numbers are pretty good and the state will just keep propping up paying the rent for venues and you might have the odd distance thing but um, as we knew it to see how that can exist I find quite complicated Third ad read is for Hate Couture, hateful yet tasteful apparel, clothing, 
venerating serial killers and tyrants and sure to piss off your nearest and dearest. www.hatecourt616.com Use the promo code ALAN and you will get free shipping. Go to it and check out the stuff they've got. And this brings me to my second quote, which is um, from Ian Brown. Now, I don't know if you know the Stone Roses. The Stone Roses released um, a huge album, Fool's Gold, I think. It's about 1990, um, the height of the Mad Chester, Manchester scene. I remember it being like voted album of the um, century and stuff and, you know, various magazines back in the day and widely regarded as one of the greatest albums of all time by people who like that kind of thing. Um, and Ian Brown has been very, very outspoken about what's happening. And this is his this is a quote from a tweet from him. Every singer and musician who plays an event requiring vaccination with a GMO concoction still in experimental trials made by companies with indemnity is a wretch and a collaborator who deserves to be tarred and feathered. God damn it, Ian, don't hold back. And yeah, I mean, reading that, it made me first wonder um, where are all the people um, who should be speaking out along the... If that, if that quote is a 100 mile an hour quote, where are all the people who should be speaking out at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 mile an hour? Where are all the moderate voices in the middle who might have, might have had some... Um, some effect, some things to say. Like the Irish music industry has been on its knees. Okay, where has been the Bonos or whatever to say the Irish state needs to let people back on stages? There's no basis for this, that and the other. They were all quiet. Big musicians generally were super quiet, um, which doesn't surprise me because they've never really stood up for the small musicians' uh, right to try and earn some kind of a living um, from the agency um, of, and traveling involved in playing music. But Ian has just gone straight for the jugular and to just examine what he's saying, I mean, um, first of all, Ian is um, played in one of the, I suppose, biggest albums of all time. Maybe would it be? I mean, I, I don't know how many Fool's Gold has sold. I presume it should be two or three million copies. Maybe they weren't big in the USA and that never happened. But certainly when they reformed and came back to Dublin, there must have been 40,000 people there. So perhaps Ian has the financial ability to circumvent some of these rules when it might come to travelling and just hire that jet to go to that festival and play wherever. I don't know. Um, certainly if he's going to go on tour, um, and this is one of the things I've been talking about in the podcast, if, if testing, antigen and PCR testing stays as the, you know, the... Um, the financial cash cow that it is for airlines to make money back and big pharma to make more money. If that stays in place and bands are required, you need another one to enter Holland, to enter Belgium, to enter Denmark. You can't tour. It's as simple as that. All those tours that you see uh, rebooked and rescheduled, if any of those things still stay in place, it's just impossible. It's absolutely impossible unless people just figure out ways of bending the rules, that there are venues that just don't require you to have those um, papers when you arrive. And so perhaps a sort of um, a kind of shadow touring, um, a shadow touring, what's not the right thing to say, a sort of BC division um, touring league will exist of venues who, you know, will just go, all right, all right. But how can one plan to travel to get to those venues uh, and know this? Is this something that just comes and forms over the next couple of years as people try and work around it, just like they did under authoritarian regimes? 
um, you know, look, there was uh, punk rock in Hungary in the 1980s. People found a way to try and have gigs. But of course, being stuck on this island doesn't help my band very much because we have to get on a plane. As many people from many other countries that are sort of slightly distant on the geographical periphery of the scene will have to do. Um, I'm sure uh, a Swedish punk rock band in Stockholm can find a way to play in a, a back room for 100 people. But uh, the Scottish band supporting them won't be able to fly there to get there. But where are the voices between um, the banality of, oh, we all need the we all need to get this so we can all move forward. I mean, like and, and the disgusting virtue signaling of people posting it, uh, posting their cards on their Instagram and like, hey, you know, um, that really has um, defied logic. If you're going to do it because you've weighed up the options and out of necessity, think to yourself, OK, this is something I have to do to have a career anymore. OK, but um, the as I said, the virtue signaling behind doing it, uh, I really um, I find difficult to deal with. Just keep it to yourself. You don't need to post every medical decision you make to yourself uh, or online. But I understand that's kind of not how people live anymore and comes back to our concept of making content. Um, but where are the voices between Ian Brown at 100 miles an hour and just nothing? There has to be some voices of just concerned people who are going... I'm not necessarily talking about vaccination, but about how it leaves um, the music industry, um, where have people really come out and been able to say, look, if, the, if these rules don't change, for example, if with, with Primordial, the state is still requiring people to quarantine on return from traveling, um, which basically just keeps us in Ireland. It basically says to any artist, hey, that art exhibition you want to go to in Budapest, you ain't going there. In fact, you ain't going anywhere. And which is quite amazing to me as a, the Irish state has lent into art and culture for so many years for all our playwrights, all our poets, all of this, that, the other. What they're saying is, hey, uh, your play can um, go on on Broadway, but you can't go to see the opening night. In fact, none of the people acting in it can really be Irish because you're not going to be able to um, go there and return. Until that rule changes, we are basically stuck here. But I haven't heard anybody really say anything about that. Um, I suppose, as I said again, it's because the whole scene is just holding its breath to what to, to to see what is going to happen. But Ian Brown, yeah, um, with the GMO concoction still in experimental trials. I mean, I've had this conversation with people before, which is that um, the only way to have had long-term trials is to have had long-term trials. So unless you have a time machine and have moved um, ahead a couple of years to find out what's happening, you don't know. And that's pretty self-explanatory because um, it addresses the linear nature of time as we understand it without being such a smart ass. Um, personally, uh, I have. if you look at malaria, polio, all these things, I shouldn't really probably get into this murky area, but I have nothing against any of those things. It's the structure that is surrounding all of this. The idea that this is the uh, the carrot to the stick, the key to your freedom, the structure around it, which is, um, that's what... Uh, gets to me more however companies with indemnity and yes you will probably know that your states have granted these companies indemnity if you don't know what indemnity is look it up um, but it basically has given people a sort of free reign on, on some level a wretch and a collaborator who deserves to be tarred and fair I like this sort of medieval imagery 
um, very much behind the tarred and feather idea. I think this is, um, you know, uh, smashing running wild style pirate metal imagery. But in quoting Ian Brown here, um, I'm not having a go at him. I think it's quite, in a way, um, it's quite incredible to me that once upon a time in the 60s, 70s and 80s, musicians did um, book their trend. They did stand up against authority. They did try and hold power to account. They did say things that were um, beyond the pale, that were anti-state, that were anti-multinational. Um, that was the nature of being an artist at one stage was to try and hold power to account. Now, you may not you may disagree with the nature of what some of what Ian Brown is saying, but no one could say that he's not actually doing exactly that, trying to uh, stand up against um, something far greater, far bigger in the terms of um, art, of creativity, of all those kind of things that once upon a time people understood. But yet most of the musicians I see online now are actually saying the opposite. They're saying to people, hey, could you please conform for the greater good? Hey, could you not ask questions because you stop being sceptical? And I, myself, as I come back to the beginning of what I said in the podcast, have come under fire from people and got in trouble. People who are protesting the protester as opposed to really trying to understand what you were trying to say. They're annoyed at the idea that I'm sceptical, irritated that I have questions and would rather frame me as this or that or the other rather than listen to the body of the podcasts that I've made. But yet it's been quite amazing to me the amount of people who, especially in the metal scene, who have sung about rebellion and being against authority, but have deferred to it almost instantly in every way throughout this whole situation. And now many of them have gone quiet when I say to them, hey, remember that thing you said to me last August about uh, being over the top? Um, well, hey, we're home another year in. How's it going for you? How's it going for those uh, steadfast opinions you were holding um, as you told me to um, wind my neck in and not be so conspiratorial 12, 13, 14, 15 months ago. It's all gone pretty quiet on the Western Front since then. But I am quite um, flabbergasted and shocked at the level of um, conformity that has existed in a scene that has always sang about the opposite. Now, maybe there's things I've missed. I don't know. I suppose the fear is that if you come out and say something as extreme as Ian has said there, relatively... Um, that you'll be painted as, I suppose, far right, a Trumpist or this, that, the other. When in actuality, um, really, if you really dig down and look into what he's saying there, um, it's nothing really to do with politics, if you ask me. It's just about big pharma and medicine, really, at the bottom of the day, or bottom of the day, at the end of the day, at the bottom of the argument. But it will be painted as such by people who don't really want to listen to uh, whatever a middle-aged white guy has to say about this whole current situation. And I, by that, I mean Ian Brown. <laughs> um, I do think that, though, there is another side to it, which is that for somebody like Ian Brown maybe has to realise that um, much lower-level musicians who don't really have the choice, maybe I can think of a good friend of mine who uh, is playing acoustic music in bars, and if every bar is going to require him to show his passport certificate... Um, his vaccine passport certificate to just go in to just play in front of a pub full of people and get his tips how how you know what are you going to do retrain yourself at uh, in middle age to try and you know a pivot to the climate economy or to some other economy you can't if that's your whole life if that's what you've done um, somebody like Ian Brown has 
I guess, you know, that's not what he was trying to say in his statement, but there are so many low level musicians and I would count myself as part of that, maybe not quite low, low level, but certainly on a level that without touring and um, festivals, it's taken 75 to 80 percent of your income away. Or, you know, for most people, the touring and the playing live is the top up that makes um, living possible as opposed to surviving. Uh, so um, b before I really, you know, digress into the whole welfare state business or if that becomes universal basic income is a whole other conversation linked to dissent from the system that provides you that financial aid. But um, he isn't wrong about the trials and he isn't wrong about indemnity. You can look those things up. Um, but it certainly looks to me like what he's talking about is kind of on the cards at some stage is that if unless this recedes into the background like a bad dream, you can see next um, February, April, March, all those kind of months coming into the summer, the idea of huge mass gatherings um, being held in a field are going to send local councils into apoplexy, especially local councils who have those unelected health officials who've been um, living, working, ordering people around with impunity for the previous, well, let's be honest, pr almost two years. They aren't going to want to just let go of the reins and go, OK, young people out, enjoy yourself, be free. The uh, percentage in the risk category are, are vaccinated. So off you go out and live your lives again. I don't think that that happens because I don't think power um, relinquishes power. I don't think that's the nature of power. And once you've allowed people to act with impunity and, as Ian says, indemnity, um, why would they give it back? And this is the this is the the confused nature of the argument right now. When you say to people, I just say to people, why why would that happen? And they just think and I just you just say to them, well, do you think the world is fair and just in that respect? Uh, well, just take a little bit look of a look back through history. Well, I suppose not. Or the very simple asshole question: um, Has a bad thing ever happened in history? Yes or yes? Could this be one? Yes or yes? <laughs> there is no argument. History is not on your side, my friend. Of course, I'm not saying everything is some drastic Machiavellian plot. Of course not. The truth is always grey and rather dull and bureaucratic and chaotically mundane, somewhere in the middle. But um, I do wonder where the people who are, as I said, between a mile an hour and 100 mile an hour, if we take Ian's quote at 100 mile an hour, where's all the people in the middle ground? Where's all the... I found myself kind of standing alone um, in in podcast terms, at least trying to discuss some of the things that are happening. I don't know or have found very few people that are willing to discuss it. Most of the musicians I've come across the mail scene, uh, as I said, I mean, maybe privately will express to me their worries, but they don't really want to talk about it that much on um, online or on YouTube. Some do, some don't. But I think it's more the instant nature of so personal social media, which is like, here's the picture of me with my card. The virtue signaling involved in that. What you're saying is, I am a virtuous person. I am doing the right thing. I don't want your granny to die. And we all know that the argument isn't that simple. It's not that simple at all. And some of what Mr. Brown has said uh, crystallizes um, the argument against it. Now, admittedly, what he said makes it very easy for the mainstream media to pillory him, to not take him seriously, because it's using language that is pretty inflammatory. And of course, in this black and white world where people will only look at headlines or only look at 
Um, they only want the most angry response because that's what social media rewards. It rewards the most extreme voice, the most angry voice. And so moderate woman says moderate thing or reasonable thing is never going to get the headlines. So maybe that's why we don't hear from people in the middle going, hang on, I have a few concerns about this, which is where I've been trying to position myself in the realms of the skeptical, in the realms of asking questions. The realms of asking questions were terrible grammar. Um, but I do wonder where all the people in the middle are. And I do wonder about the motives of those who continually need to, um, as I said, to virtue signal to people they don't know about um, something they don't necessarily maybe understand. And that's part of the problem, my friends. What a ramble. What an all over the place kind of discussion. But what I was trying to do was I've been holding off making a video about the music industry for a little while. Um, just kind of wanted to see if that metaphorical dust would settle a bit more. As uh, you saw things like Psycho Las Vegas being announced and other festivals and other things going ahead. And it still made me wonder, how are those bands from Europe getting across to that festival? Are those things going to become clear or not clear? Are we, of course, hedging our bets? that we are going to move back towards reopening on such terms or is something else going to come along and scope them it's again it's there's all so many ifs and what's ifs and what's and whereabouts and complex um questions that i'm not sure do get answered for us so what i wanted to do was just take those two quotes consider them in terms of the modern music industry and also in terms of what i'm doing here talking to you which is essentially creating content and is that the very nature of the argument? Well, my friends, episode 63 is one of those ones that just comes out in one go, so to speak. That will be it, my friends. Planet Satan over and out. I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. Hope that gave you some food for thought. Didn't get me into too much trouble. Again, skepticism is the only rational perspective on everything. 